0: welcome to episode nine of wise choice an official wise music podcast we're your hosts i'm adam
1: and i'm paula and we're the daydream club
0: and we're into the new year if my calculations are correct Happy and everything new has gone year. to plan <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah yeah um, Which doesn't
0: always but yeah um yeah i hope you had a good christmas um this this year we're kicking off with it's quite a, a meaty episode it is for the start of a year i know it, it took some serious research so we're, we're looking into billy holiday and And some of the artists and music that surrounds her. I feel like I've watched uh, like a thousand documentaries on her for this. I've read interviews with close friends. I've scoured the internet and beyond. She's a very complex lady. Yeah. With a very mysterious story. And And uh, I feel like the internet struggles to agree on all of the points surrounding her. So... I don't want to try and say too much in mm. case we get the wrong information. So we'll, we'll focus on the focus music. on the music and and the, and the impact that, that had on culture everyone and... seems to agree on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because <laughs> <laughs>
1: there's, there's a great catalog. for There is so. a great
0: catalog. Yeah, exactly. There's some some amazing writers behind her, and, and she was a writer herself as well. Obviously. Yeah. Um,
1: and we're going to kick off then in 1935.
0: Yeah, with what would have been her like first breakout track what a little moonlight can do but before we move on to the track uh, I just thought we'd touch a little bit on her kind of Billy's early years Um so you probably know that she had quite a turbulent childhood um, but rather than go into too much detail about like that I, I just wanted to celebrate her successes and on one of the interviews I saw some of her close friends thought that the th- the film Lady Sings the Blues portrayed her as like a, a helpless victim but they say she was a strong defiant woman who did exactly what she wanted to do so mm. any choice she made or any bad decision was hers to make she, she owned made it, it and yeah. owned it and I nice. thought that was cool I want to kind of respect that Yeah exactly um so from a young age uh, she started singing in in nightclubs in Harlem um and uh, she was born Eleanora Fagan and she chose her stage name from a silent movie star, Billy Dove, um, and and Holiday was from her estranged father's name, Halliday, or at least that's what some people say on the internet, that his name was Halliday. Okay. Um, And it was originally, she originally spelled it Halliday as well, apparently. So initially she, she was Billy Halliday? Holiday. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, well I can't that. confirm that. I don't know. It's, you know.
1: Interesting fact, if it's true. Yeah, I know. It is know.
0: interesting, isn't it? Um the thing I liked the most though was that some actual quotes from her—they're always the best. We always aren't they? like they're that direct best. from the mouth. Like, yeah, I wish the... I could interview all of the people that we feature just to really hear their actual, you know, thoughts. But anyway, <laughs> she says, um, "If I'm going to sing like someone else, then I don't need to sing at all." Oh, that's good. And I think that says a lot that's about amazing. her, doesn't it?
1: Yeah. What's the point? Because so that person already exists. Already that singing. voice is already out there.
0: And she did have, like as soon as you hear it, you know it's her.
1: <clears throat> yeah, it's very, very unique.
0: Um, and then another fact, a quote from her was that she says, um, I feel like I'm playing a horn. I try to improvise. What comes out is what I feel.
1: We we had a little chat about this.
0: In December. I yeah, episode,
1: wh- way back in December, because we were talking about um, the Andrew sisters.
0: That's it. Yeah. And um, they're em- emulating the horn section. Yeah. With and the triadic the
1: style of singing in thirds, yeah. Um, and you'd mentioned in that one that Billy, you'd you already started I don't know, the research for this back in December. You'd started your research, yeah. Um, and you said that she got improvised, got in inspiration from, um, yeah, yeah the from horn from the horn
0: section. And, um, quite um, prominently, Louis Armstrong as well was a big influence on her. She grew yeah. up listening to him as you do with your idols, you try and emulate them, you know,
1: and growing up as well, singing in nightclubs in Harlem. I mean, imagine imagine the inspiration you could be taking from all the music that's around you. And,
0: and the the band leader slash trumpet player or saxophonist of the day, mm-hmm. they would have been the rock stars of that time. Yeah, they're the lead guitarist yeah. of, of the band that everyone's like, I want to be the trumpet player. Yeah. You know, so very, you should be looking up to them and be like, I want to. And great thing to try and sound like because there are some amazing players. And so every she, I think every time she performs... It's always a little bit different. That's cause it, because that's the improvisational the
1: nature of like jazz back then, like the horn sections and things. And, and the, rather the, than I, having like a set vocal melody that you might be sticking to, there's always that element of like freestyle to it almost.
0: Well, the idea with, with jazz as well, I think, is that you, you set up in the first section like the the basic theme, the tune mm. or whatever, and then you start embellishing on it and messing around with it mm. and and then you just do whatever you want. Yeah. So it's kind of... I I can hear that in what she's doing yeah she initially gives you the tune and then starts playing with it and it's very cool
1: and and if you watch live videos and things um it's always slightly different isn't it it is
0: yeah every performance I mean we had two um recordings of a song we're going to play later and I couldn't decide between them because they're both so different Mm. completely different feel the way she performs it everything so that, that just goes to show uh, but anyway, back to the song. And that was just a little, you know... A little, background. little bit of history. And I think that was all like, really cool stuff to point out about her. Um, so What A Little Moonlight Can can Do was written by Harry M. Woods in 1934. And this version was performed with Teddy Wilson and his orchestra. Um, and it, like I said before, it was like a, a break sound, breakout song that launched a career. So she's been playing in Harlem for years at this point. Mm. but And going around with just her and a pianist mm. for a lot of it. And then... Um, This was kind of as her career was taking off and starting to get recognized for being like a different kind of singer, a new breed of singer. Um, and at this point, she would have been 20 years old. What wow, we've got a little snippet so you can hear 20 year old Billie Holiday at the start of her career, one of the earliest beginning to make some waves. Yeah, so what a little, little moonlight can do by Billie Holiday. See, I think with all those slides and bends, you can almost hear a trumpet player actually performing that kind. Yes,
1: of it. it's almost like the wah wah mute effect, so like the woo woo wah wah wah
0: wah. Exactly, actually, yeah, wah wah mute almost is her tone, isn't it?
1: Wah wah wah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah,
0: yeah, nailed it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, but no, you can to- you can absolutely hear that inspiration coming through.
0: Yeah. And so,
1: understand why it's so unique as well, put on voice.
0: Yeah, definitely. It's great. But I mean it is quite a vocal technique, I suppose. Like it's almost a trumpet imitating a voice, and she's then imitating a trumpet imitating yeah. a voice. <laughs>
2: Maybe. <laughs> oh. but anyway,
0: uh moving on into nineteen thirty-nine, where we're now gonna cover probably our most iconic track um is Strange Fruit. Mm. You know, you can't cover Billy Holiday without covering that mm. amazing track. Um so she was first introduced to the poem uh, during her time at Barney Josephson's Cafe Society in Manhattan in the 1930s. And the poem was written by Jewish Amer- American writer, teacher and composer Abel Mirapol under his pseudonym Lewis Allen. And you, you got some extra info into, about Abel. I was reading uh, Abel, into Mirapol
1: and what an amazing sounding person he was um so lewis allen was actually a pseudonym he'd come up with and it was the names of his stillborn sons which yeah so he wanted to give life i think after that that um, was one
0: of the things you told me that was so i really really like that
1: yeah and it was his son robert that like said that in a npr interview um that i was reading and his son robert and his other son michael were actually adopted after their parents were es- executed from e- for espionage so well, like crazy life i mean i know it's a billy holiday special but you know the person who you wrote the whole episode just unable yeah it was a photo he'd seen of a lynching um and he said that that photo haunted him for days and he was someone who, again, his son describes as someone with a really big heart. He, he wouldn't let his son mow over seedlings from, oh. from the uh, tree in the back garden because why would you you know, stop that life? So he'd literally go around collecting all the seedlings up, put them in loads of tins and like... Let them have life. Um, oh, that's um, nice. So, yeah, he was described as someone with a really big heart, and it was that photo. It that... feels deeply clear. Yeah. yeah.
0: So, well, like you say, the, the song protests the lynching of black Americans with lyrics that compare the victims to fruits of trees. And uh, the lyrics are really powerful, oh, which it's... I thought we'd cover the lyrics in a bit. But one of the key elements, I think, in this story for me was um, the, the Cafe Society. Was the first racially integrated nightclub in the U.S. Now that's the first important part. Mm. That is where Billy first heard the poem. Mm, Okay, Um, and most importantly, it is where Billy first sang "Strange Fruit." So I think all of this culminating in this Cafe Society place that is going against—you know—it's about unity. Yeah, championing. And and then they have this song, which has is, um, is, is been said to maybe be considered the first protest song of the civil rights era mm. at a time when protest, protest music wasn't really known, mm. which, yeah, what, what a protest song as well. Mm. Um, in in Billy's autobiography, she says that the first time she did perform the track there, there, was, there wasn't even a patter of applause when she finished. <sighs> wow. It was like deathly silent. Then one person began to clap nervously oh. and then suddenly everybody was clapping. Wow. But at that moment, you can imagine like, you're just like, oh God, what have could, I done? Could you imagine hearing... She was really nervous to do it because she knew it was... Well, could
1: you imagine hearing something like that performed for the first time when there's nothing like that that exists? Know. You know, obviously people are aware of, of everything that's happening, but to publicly say it but that that's also the beauty about the lyrics is that it doesn't explicitly state you know
0: it doesn't yeah but but um, it's obvious also i think that shows billy's strength of character to be like so brave this needs to be heard and i might get in trouble but i'm still going to do it anyway Mm -hmm. um yeah i mean mean, all of the elements that make it such a powerful song yeah um the lyric uh, here's a little factoid for you that i thought was interesting as well the lyric was so controversial that her record label at the time, which was Capital, um, wouldn't record it, Oof. you know, because I guess they didn't want to go near it because it's risky territory. Mm. Um, so she moved labels over to the independent wow. record label, Commodore Records, That's where she cool. could record and sing as she pleased.
1: That shows a strength of character again, again doesn't, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Like, Just like, you're not going to do... this needs to happen. Yeah, Wow.
0: Um, good magazine on Commodore actually, as well
1: too. To I was going to say Time magazine actually uh, numbered, labelled this song as the song of the century in 1999. Mm. Uh, something that's had, you know, a massive impact. Yeah, definitely. I think that's, wow. I so think it was written in a 90... bit of a hit
0: in its day as well. though. Yeah. Um, some of the, I mean, the lyrics are just, the, I say the poem is just beautiful the way it's written as well. But um, I was just want to pull the first, like first line out, uh, Southern trees bear a strange fu- fruit, blood on the leaves and blood at the root. Black body swinging in the southern breeze, strange fruit hanging from the poplar trees. I mean, it's so we kind of want poignant. you to
1: keep saying the rest. Of, uh, mind you, we're going to be listening we're to We're listen to the ones, song, yeah, but yeah.
0: I, when you see the lyrics it, and, and take away from the music for a minute, you almost absorb it a bit more. I don't know. Mm. When the music's there, I can get a bit distracted by the emotion of it. Mm. But to see it as well, it's it's beautifully written. So um, let's play it. This is Strange Fruit by Billie Holiday.
3: smell of burning flesh Here is a fruit for the crows to pluck for the rain together for the wind to suck for the sun to rot for the tree
0: powerful isn't it
1: absolutely I'm, extraordinary really isn't it
0: i just realized i think we we said that abel wrote the lyrics but i think he also put his lyrics to music first yeah. didn't he? so
1: in that npr interview it said he was also an amateur composer and that he played that his poem. Uh, his, yeah, version. his, his uh, version to a new york club owner so and, and then, then Billy's that person, moving in the circles
0: yeah. they passed it on to billy she hears it and goes yeah I need so to the story do this.
1: yeah so the story goes so that so that's yeah real yeah. credit
0: so uh, more credit to Abel again. He was obviously a bit of a legend. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. Well, with this podcast, we always like to try and find any covers or remixes. Obviously, with these songs, There's so it's, many. It's hard to it's hard to find. But this particular track, everyone's had to go at covering it. You Amy Winehouse Hanco- you can actually yeah. hear hear a lot of um, Amy Winehouse's influences from Billy when you listen to yeah, them side by really? side. Can, can hear a lot of what she might have been inspired by.
1: Yeah, but I mean, there was Herbie Hancock, Marcus Miller, Nina uh, Simone. Nina Simone, uh, Annie Lennox. Uh, yeah, loads. Um, Jeff Buckley.
2: That's it, yeah. Uh, oh, so many. We, honestly, the um, list was. Tricky
0: did a good version as well. Yeah. Um, but I, I found one by the Cocteau Twins, and I, I love the Cocteau Twins. <laughs> okay. And this version of theirs is just feels very raw and unhinged and like guttural. I don't mm. know, there's something quite primal about it, which I liked kind of fit the the tone a bit um, and it's very different to Billy's as well so we'll just play a bit of a snippet of that just because it's cool cool so this is Strange Fruit by Cocteau Twins (laughs) on the edge of chaos that <laughs> track that's what i love about it and why i included it it's just it's great i love that so moving on back on to billy holiday we're up to 1947 now with the release of there is no greater love yes what a, cool what, song. a what a tune off
1: the album lover man yeah it? yeah
0: another great track but we're going to focus on there is no greater love um it's a 1936 jazz standard composed by isham jones and lyrics by marty symes um And it was originally recorded by Isham Jones and his orchestra with Woody Herman as the lead singer. I found an interesting little factoid surrounding all of that. Um, Mm. It was the last hit song for Jones's orchestra before he passed the orchestra over to Woody Herman, starting Woody's 50-year career as a band leader. So that's like his, this is his starting point with that song.
1: That's amazing.
0: Yeah. Wow. It's cool, isn't it? Yeah, like it's a
1: good that. a Good, um, good little setup. side note. It's a good setup as well to have been passed on that.
0: Yeah, yeah. I had a little thought when I was listening as well to some of these when we were researching of like production techniques of the time. And uh, around this time, like the vocalist and orchestra or band would have recorded probably all at once with maybe one mic in the room or in later years, maybe a few mics, but no close mics on each mm-hmm. instrument. So it was all about position in the room with the vocalist nearer the mic and that's why the band can sometimes sound a bit distant because mm. they literally are
1: I know, but further the
0: back in the room
1: considering that and considering how much effort we put into now like um separating yes yeah, separating having individual tracks for everything yeah like it just sounds amazing and I think that's credit to the musicians themselves yeah. like well
0: I mean that's the thing you had to be an amazing musician at the time because Everyone had to play perfectly yeah. every take. Yeah, okay. uh, the, anyone messes up and the whole thing's ruined. You've got to start again. And you've got to start all the way. Do the again. whole take from the beginning. So, yeah, I just thought that was interesting when you listen to this and think about that—that that they had to think about the position in the room, where they would put Billy in the room so that she's louder than the orchestra but not overpowering them, while everyone's still being heard with her still sounding kind of close yeah (laughs) it's it's just literal positioning it just feels very physical compared to what you have to do nowadays with reverb and you know you put put a bit of reverb on to push it further into the mix or
1: and it's a nice visual actually to imagine as well literally
0: in the room everyone performing and and capturing a moment of time in magic you know mm -hmm. i really like that um so let's play it this is there is no greater love by billy Holiday.
3: I feel for you No greater love No heart so true There is no greater thrill Than what you
1: song and i just have to sing along with it it's just pure vibes isn't it
0: sunday morning good stuff
1: it's brought the sun is shining (laughs) into the the room right now come out it feels just it's just creating such a nice little atmosphere
0: yeah and actually for me i just wanted to mention that um when i was listening to that original i was trying to think where where do i know that from it feels really familiar to me and then during my research i found that um the artist Blockhead, signed to Ninja Tune, yeah. have sampled it for the track Triptych Part One, which I, I really like Blockhead and most of Ninja Tune acts. And so it's in there, there
3: is no greater love.
0: And it kind of, that's looped a lot oh. in it. I was just like, oh, what? It's like a little earworm for me. Where do I know that? Why do I know that?
1: Well, I did though. For, for I managed to find it. Yeah. So, but I think they actually, I think they sampled
0: the Dina Washington version. Oh, okay. I couldn't be sure, but.
1: We'll have to have a, have a little listen to both versions closely and see if we can... They're
0: kind of kind of different. But anyway, it's neither by the by. They're both great. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. Um, I just thought next we'll just play a little snippet of the Isham Jones Orchestra and Woody Herman version from 1936. Cool. So you can hear Woody Herman so this was the becoming original recording. a band leader. Like...
1: This, yeah, so this was 36, that was 49, wasn't it? So this is the original recording. This is the original, 47, yeah. yeah.
0: 47, Billie Holiday's version, and this is 1936 when it was written and first okay. recorded. So here it is There's No Greater Love by Isham Jones's orchestra and Woody Herman.
3: There is no greater love than what I feel for you, no greater love, no heart so true. There is no greater thrill than what you
1: I, that's, there's something weirdly nostalgic about that and I think it's the the vocal singing style because obviously it's not nostalgic to me because I wasn't alive in the 30s <laughs> yeah um, takes you back does yeah, it yeah takes <laughs> you right <laughs> back to the 30s that does Um yeah, I don't know what it is but I, I really like it yeah
0: <clears throat> it's got a know. lovely vibrato yeah very smooth
1: it, I think it's that old style of singing it's very smooth and like very pronu- like the pronunciations yeah. there and I don't know there's something quite pleasurable yeah. about that <laughs> no nice. <laughs> anyway, anyway, bring
0: it back onto Billy Holiday, now up to 1953 and I've picked out a track called Solitude which I think is just it's quite poignant I think in terms mm-hmm. of Billy Holiday's life. Uh, it was written by Duke Ellington and Eddie DeLange and Irvin Mills. Wow. Um wow. Yeah. <laughs> well,
1: that's enough isn't it to just be like okay, this- Yeah,
0: okay. Um Elling- apparently Ellington reported that he composed it in a recording studio in twenty minutes because his orchestra had three pieces but needed another. I
1: can also imagine that. they so yeah. just
0: like, oh, I need another. Okay, I just write this there amazing, you go. amazing piece. Amazing piece, yeah. <laughs> and that probably involved scoring out parts as well, not just like writing down the chords and whatever. Yeah. Yeah, pretty we can amazing. To be <laughs> of that level. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to just fill you in on where Billie Holiday might have been at this point in her life. And it does involve, you know, some of her troubles in her life. So according to several reports, she started using heroin in the early 1940s during her marriage to Monroe. Uh, She was arrested on drug charges in 1947 and ended up spending months in jail for possession. And then two years later, she was caught again with drugs by the police. Um, and by the 50s, her battle with drugs and alcohol was taking its toll on her voice and career. And it eventually did get the better of her with her final studio recordings being in 1959. And she died aged 44, just 44 wow. of cirrhosis.
1: That's sobering, isn't it? Like, that's not I know, just I mean, so young.
0: I guess she, she lived hard and died young. Yeah. Um, and well, according to her friends, you know, she stands by her decisions as well. So
1: No, I like that though. Um, yeah, no, I, 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 like I think that.
0: She, from what I read, it Sounds seemed like, a like strong she, character. she knew that maybe, you know, all these dr- drugs and alcohol was harming her, but she was doing, she did it anyway. She was she living to. life the way she wanted to yeah.
1: live
0: life. Um, but the reason I mentioned it anyway, is just because then she records or chooses to record solitude, which wasn't written for her, but it just seems so close to where she would have been at that time in her life. You look at the lyrics. Like in my solitude, you haunt me with reveries of days gone by. In my solitude, you taunt me with memories that never die. It's mm. like looking back at her, her life, and now she's kind and of alone and, 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 and she, suffering. And I was
1: going to say because she's had some real, you know, experiences in life. Uh, so yeah, wow, I can get why this may be resonated with yeah. her and why she wanted to record it
0: and she always like, embodies the track i think yeah. from what i read like and she has to feel it i feel like she would have felt this at that point in her life mm. if, like solitude yeah i don't know i think it i think that could be quite poignant mm. if you listen to it thinking that um yeah so let's put it on this is solitude by billy holiday 1953
3: in my soul.
1: Yeah, we're only playing a snippet of that because we're going to follow it up with the Ella Fitzgerald version of Solitude, which was recorded in 1957.
0: Yeah, well, I just wanted to include that because it, it, the Ella Fitzgerald and Billie Holiday kind of found themselves in competition with each other. Not necessarily because they wanted to be, it just no. happened that way. Um, mainly because um, Chick Webb Band was in direct competition with the Count Basie Band. okay. And the two singers represented those bands. And, right. So oh, uh, apparently, eventually they became good friends, but uh, there was a point well, for a where while, they were constantly being pitted it's against income, each isn't other. isn't it,
1: that you, you, you're wanting to get the gigs? That's it, you want the gigs,
0: you want to be the, the best band. Um, mm. So yeah, and I just thought, I just wanted to play like the, the light and day of the two completely different approaches to the same song mm. and the completely different styles of singing mm. and both are great. Yeah. So it's just, you know. Just celebrate to them both. Celebrate on both, yeah, yeah brilliant, brilliant women. So this is Ella Fitzgerald with Solitude. In
3: my solitude You sit nice day
0: different aren't they it so could be like different. a different song
1: oh it's so smooth like it feels like so much a little bit more laid back and yeah
0: and ease. That, that warm tone mm. compared to billy's oh it's more nice. cut through tone but credit to both of them of how they can make it their own yeah to make it seem like a different song love it uh that actually brings us around to the last tracks Ooh, okay. of the same track okay. so <laughs> another I mean? snippet and a full a snippet it? and then yeah. a full to finish um, so this is the track we're going to look at now is Crazy He Calls Me which Billy released in 1951 um, it was composed by Carl Sigmund with the lyrics by Bob Russell um, and Sigmund it is some interesting bits which yeah. I, I jumped on here so Sigmund also wrote Pennsylvania 65,000
1: 65, Yeah, 65,000 yeah it's great great so, act like, it's
0: massive awesome And then Bob Russell, this is the interesting one. Go on. Also wrote, Do Nothing Till You Hear From Me, which is an epic jazz track, which you'd expect. Yeah. But then he also wrote, He Ain't Heavy, He's My Brother, which the The Hollies Hollies? is. What? Yeah. What? That's cool, isn't it? I think that might be a future episode. Finding (laughs) out
1: who writes songs,
2: because,
0: yeah. I just, to go from writing all of these jazz things and then... He ain't, he ain't heavy, he's my, my brother. brother.
1: Wow.
0: Yeah, I love that song. I love that song. That, I, definitely, I, I think that that's... definitely has <laughs> oh, to be an episode, does not it? Yeah. Just for that song, I'm going to have to try and build something around that. But uh, yeah. We'll get in. Great. So the song and her rendition, Billy's rendition of the song, was inducted in the into the Grammy Hall of Fame in 2010. Well, and um, she was considered to be one of the highest paid performers of her era. That
1: is epic that's what, cool isn't it like, what a boss what a, what an achievement
0: though
1: yeah like, for the time yeah, that I you are well, well, looking at the era in spite
0: of doing strange that fruit, she's a yeah.
1: woman that she's black you know and she's done this hugely political song which yeah. you know
0: could have stopped a career dead
1: i know that's that's incredible yeah. yes Yes. That ma- yes, I know.
0: <laughs> oh, done, That's Billy. a nice
1: factoid. I like that. Uh, I didn't know nice that. Nice to
0: round up on that, isn't it?
1: I didn't know that. That's very, very so, cool.
0: I wanted to just play a snippet of Crazy He Calls Me and then finish off with a, a different version, which I just found and, and it's really mm. cool. So, this is Billie Holiday with Crazy He Calls Me.
3: I say I'll care forever and I mean forever if i have to hold up the sky crazy he calls me sure i'm crazy crazy love am i
0: That brings us to the last track in in very nice style, I think, Because well, <laughs> It's been a really nice episode, to be I've fair. I was nervous about this one because there's, there's so much info and complex story to get in, but actually, it's Just been really the music interesting, is isn't it?
1: Wonderful, though, is isn't it? I
0: know. Yeah, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. I think uh, I know we have.
1: I think the version that we're ending on. So we're going to go uh, for "Crazy." He calls me. Um, and we're going to go with Aretha Franklin's yeah. version from 1969, and there's something really special about this version. I think it's
0: oh, just another amazing woman making it her own, and I just love Aretha. She's yeah. awesome. Yeah, she sings right into my heartbone, um, <laughs> and she makes it's very different to Billy's version again. But you can feel Aretha's power oozing out of her in I this think, version i think
1: i remember aretha franklin was voted in like rolling stone's top 100 vocalists of all time or something but know, ninth or something ninth. like ninth yeah and you wonder who who's who goes above, above aretha above. that's it i need to look into it more but um yeah what, wow what a legend
0: what a ledge yeah. yeah so we'll leave you with that amazing rendition by aretha franklin called crazy calls me We are Adam and Paula from the Daysman Club and you've been listening to the Wise Choice Podcast.
1: Thank you for tuning in and we will catch you next time. Bye. Bye -bye. (laughs) Bye-bye.
3: mountains If he wants them out of the way Crazy calls The box.
0: If you enjoyed our show, you might also like Composing Myself. It's another Wise Music podcast which features interviews with composers and writers getting into the nitty-gritty about how they write and their process behind it all. You can find links to it in our podcast or just search for Composing Myself on your platform of choice.